Dear God, as we open your word, as we discover about this prophet from the Old Testament, may your grace and blessing, your spirit be upon us together. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I suppose that a lot of people would relegate this story to a myth. You know, because here is the story of this prophet who, a wayward prophet, gets on a ship going the wrong way, is thrown overboard, taken up by a whale for three days and three nights, and then spit out, makes his way, a whole city is converted of the enemies of Israel, and then he kind of has a bad attitude, hair day about the whole thing. It's kind of a crazy story. And, you know, we are surrounded by myths, ourselves anyway. I mean, look at this new movie about the, the Avenger movie that just came out not too long ago. And just the first weekend, it, it grossed out a, a billion dollars. <clears throat> our daughter Lauren, she said, Daddy, don't even bother to go to it because you're not going to understand it anyway. You know, so, so I thought that was really good. <clears throat> um, thank you, sweetheart. Whatever happened to Father Knows Best anyway, you know, so. But <clears throat> I can assure you this story is not a myth. I mean, Nineveh did and does exist up in northern Iraq. It's about 600 miles northeast of Jerusalem. And it was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. They were enemies of Jerusalem, or of Israel. Jonah existed. We read about him in, in 2 Kings chapter 14. He was the prophet assigned by God to prophesy about the expansion of the northern kingdom under King Jeroboam, who was the king right before, or right, I mean, right after Solomon. <clears throat> and all this took place like 750 years before Christ. And so, yeah, he, he lived. And, but the real reason, I mean, first of all, the Bible says all Scripture, this is part of the Scripture, is inspired of God, is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, instruction, and righteousness. So we know it's true. But, but one of the biggest reasons is Jesus commended the preaching of Jonah himself in Matthew chapter 12, verse 39, he says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. This, is, this story is, first of all, it's the greatest missionary story in the Old Testament. And it's much more than just about a wayward prophet. It's about a greater than Jonah is here. About a loving, merciful God who uses people like Jonah and you and me with all of our fears and all of our weaknesses to reach people because you see God uses real live people to reach real live people and so <clears throat> our students they've been on a mission to Nineveh themselves and I've always told them our mission 
is two things. I, I took this out of the a Spirit of Prophecy devotional. It said, first of all, our mission is, is to teach people about Jesus, to preach Jesus through our lives, through our testimonies. Bring them to Jesus. Tell our story about Christ. Because as it says in the book, Desire of Ages, everyone, whether they realize it or not, needs Christ in their lives. Everyone we meet, whether they realize it or not, has difficulties and problems and challenges in their life that only Jesus can do something about. Everybody needs Jesus. So that's the first thing. But then it said the second thing is to tell the world those truths and those teachings that Jesus wants them to know before he returns. For he says, Behold, the Son of Man comes in an hour that we think not. So all those truths, those truths about the, the Sabbath, many other things that people need to know, and we do it through books. That that's what we go, books is one way, Bible studies, other ways. Books like this. This is the History of Freedom or The Great Controversy. And by the way, I brought some copies. You see some there and there. And if you've never had a chance to read this book, and you don't have it, you're welcome to come up and just and take, take a copy. But this book tells the whole story, all about the history of the Christian church. It tells about... <clears throat> Prophecies in Daniel and Revelation, the Mark of the Beast, the whole thing. So this is an awesome book. It's probably the most important book ever written except next to the, the Bible itself. I had an interesting experience about this book that happened to me personally just a few months ago. <clears throat> it was on, I was on the other side of the fence. Normally I'm the one canvassing with the students and all that kind of thing. But this time someone came to, my, to our house to canvass me. Now, that happens occasionally. The students do know where we live. They come by every once in a while. They think they can get an easy sale. Then you know, I'm pretty easy. Now, if they get Barbara, she's a little tougher. <laughs> you know, she makes them do the whole presentation, and then she'll give them a donation. But with me, you know, I'm... But anyway, this guy came. I didn't know who he was. And he was doing a good job. He began to canvass me. Now, I didn't tell him who I was either. I didn't... He wasn't one of my students. He was from some other college in another area. And so he began to present the books to me, but I didn't tell him I was in publishing or this is what I do or anything. And so as he got through the books and he was about to close me on the sale, he, uh, there was one book he hadn't shown me, and it was this one, The History of Freedom. So I interrupted him, and I said, well, wait a minute, what about that book? What's that one about? He says, oh... That's the history of freedom, <clears throat> but I'm kind of new at this, and I don't know the presentation on it. I'm just, oh, well, I was just waiting for something like this to happen, you know. So <clears throat> I decided to have a little fun because I do know the presentation. That's what I do. So I, I just looked at him, and I gave him the presentation. I said, oh, is that the book that's recommended in Time magazine that traces the path of freedom from the dark ages to our day and shows how America's response to current world events is shaping the world we live in? Would that be that book? And he just looked at me. He says, how did you know that? Who are you? I almost told him, look, I'm John the Baptist, and I'm... Uh, <laughs> but, but I didn't dare say that. So, 
So I, I just invited him in. I said, hey, come on in. I had a prayer with him. I gave him a donation. I said, hey, you did a good job. Just, that was great. You just need to learn that presentation. <laughs> but young people like him are going out, and their message is, yes, everybody needs Jesus. To tell their testimony, to pray with them. You, these, these young people are praying with so many people every day. And, and to lead them to know some of these things that Jesus wants them to know. So it's a beautiful thing. Now, this morning I just want to take the position of, of Jonah's defender, his defense attorney I'll be today. Because there's a lot of good things. I mean, we remember the things about Jonah, like he was the wayward prophet and he disobeyed God and he started going the wrong way and all of that. And then when he did get to, to Nineveh, the whole city was converted, but, but he, didn't, he wasn't so happy about it himself. <laughs> he had kind of a bad attitude about it, bad hair day, I guess you could say. And God had to humor him by growing a plant over his, his head to cool his prophet down a little bit. But, but the truth of the matter is, there was 120,000 people responded to his preaching. I mean, that's really something, isn't it? I imagine, if, what if we had 120,000? What if we had 12,000, 10%? Maybe Pastor Jeff and Barbara and all the rest of them, if we had 12,000 people show up to church next Sabbath, they, they'd be having a bad hair day too. What to do? Oh my goodness, where are we going to put everybody? I can guarantee you we would have the biggest tailgate, parking lot, picnic, party we've ever had at Forest Lake. That's for sure. So it was awesome what happened. And then what about the sailors? I mean, here there are heathen sailors worshiping false gods, and all of a sudden, Jonah, they meet Jonah, and the next thing you know, they are making sacrifice to the true God. Because you see, they found Jonah at the bottom of the boat. He was sleeping. They said, you sleeper, who are you? And they said, and he said in Jonah chapter 1, verse 9, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land, the true God. He was bold about it. And when you think about it, that verse, some of it comes right out of the, like the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Why? For in six days the Lord made the sea and the dry land. In other words, this is the God we worship, the true God. That's why we worship him. He is our creator. And right out of Revelation 14, 7, the, the three angels' messages that we preach, fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. And worship, this is about true worship, worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water, the sea and the dry land. In other words, Jonah was pointing us to true worship, just like that's our mission as well, to the true God. And then he also had something to say about false worship. Now, we do too, because over here in Revelation chapter 12, the rest of the, the second angel's message, I mean Revelation 14, the second angel's message comes out. It says, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations 
drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. That's about false worship. And Jonah had something to say about false worship. He said in Jonah chapter 2, verse 8, those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. No mercy with false worship. A few weeks ago, Barbara and I went to, to Turkey on a trip over there to see the seven churches. It was really an awesome trip. And we also went to Athens in Greece. And the thing that I really liked was seeing the Parthenon. So I want to show you a picture of, you, of the Parthenon. This is just awesome. Some of you, I know, you've been there and you've seen it. This was at night on Mars Hill. This is where Paul preached from. In, up there on Mars Hill. So we were there, right on Mars Hill, where you read about it in the book of Acts. He preached to the Greeks there. But it's beautiful at night, all lit up and everything. It's the temple of the goddess of, of Athena, the, the goddess of wisdom. So, but our guide, she was a Greek Orthodox Christian. So you remember the Greek Orthodox were on the eastern side, you know, we're Constantinople, now Istanbul, that area. And then the Catholics were on the western side, so the Catholics rep, uh, were loyal to the Pope. The Greek Orthodox didn't recognize the authority of the Pope. You know, that's kind of how the, that goes. But she was Greek, so she was Greek Orthodox. And she told us that the Parthenon was actually a Christian church for over a thousand years. Because, you see, when Christianity came in, it had a huge influence on the Greek and Roman faith and the worship to the gods. It did an awesome thing. The Holy Spirit did. And, but so the, the worship began to fall off in the temples to the gods, and the Christians needed a place to worship, so they went to the temples. It's the same thing happened over in the Pantheon in Rome. But anyway, the people would see those statues in there to the gods, and they say, well, what do we do with these statues? And they say, well, you better leave them alone. We don't want to upset people about their, upset people about their gods, and so they left them alone. And the next generation came, and the next, and the next. And three or four hundred years down the road, somebody says, well, what about these statues? And they renamed them. And it became John, and Peter, and Paul, and Mary. That's what this Greek Orthodox guide told a whole bunch of us who were there to a whole group of ecumenical pastors, Baptists, Methodists, Catholic Everybody. That's what she told us. And we know the history because when, when Christianity had, had a great influence, but there was some fallout, some kickback. We read about it in Acts chapter 20 where Paul said, grievous wolves came into the church and they began to preach perverse things. And what's a perverse thing? It's something that is opposed to the pure and holy teachings of the Word of, of God. We see it in the, in, the, in the seals in Revelation 6. The horses, they, they went from white to red to black to pale. You know, it went down, it went south. Things went down when all of this started to happen. And so Jonah speaks about this, this whole thing. He says, those regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. God just won't accept that. And so, yeah, he teaches us some really valuable things about true worship. He was bold about it, but also about the danger of false worship. 
Now, there's something else he really teaches us important, and that's about faith. We know in Hebrews 11, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so we look here and we see something about Jonah's faith. We, we look at him as the wayward prophet, but look at his faith. It says in Jonah chapter 2, verse 4, Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. This is when he was in, he's writing about his experience in the belly of the whale. I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. He's teaching us to look up. The same thing over here another time, this, the, the verse 7 of chapter 2. When my soul fainted, I mean, that's getting, when our soul faints, we're having a really, really tough experience. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. By faith, he's telling us to look up to God's temple because that's where reality is. You know, when I was over there and saw the, the Parthenon, beautiful as it was, what I could see with my own eyes, I knew it was not real worship. It was, it was a beautiful, beautiful relic of false worship is what it was. But it was beautiful. But when I, when I was there that night on Mars Hill, I remember I looked up, I just lifted up in my imagination to see God's temple. And there was reality. Remember, faith is the evidence of things not seen. The reality was there. What I could see with my eyes was not really real. But what I could see by faith is real. That's for all of us. Because you see, that's where Jesus intercedes for us. When God the Father looks at us, he doesn't see us in our sinfulness. Because of Jesus, he sees, uh, he sees Christ. He sees his purity, his perfection, his holiness. That's what he sees. You know, I, I heard a beautiful devotional the other day by our, our president of our conference, Dr. Um, Alan Machado. <clears throat> and he was, he was talking about this thing about perfection and spiritual wholeness completeness. And the first thing he says, the only way we can have that is, is through Christ. In a relationship with Christ is the only way we can have spiritual completeness and wholeness. Like, like the book Desire of Ages said, whether they realize it or not, everyone needs Jesus. Everyone. So that's the only way we can be complete. But then he said something very interesting. He says, he said, secondly, that that's how God finds completeness, in us. Because he's our creator. And the greatest thing he created was us. And he created us with a free will, and he created us to love. And to love each other, and to love him. And so the only way that he can find completeness as our creator is when we enter into relationship with him. That's why he's going through so much trouble to bring us into his kingdom. That's why he's going through so much trouble in, in his, he came into this world, he became like us. And the whole story of the cross and his intercession and everything, that's how much he loves us. But then Dr. Machado said something interesting. He says, he posed the, the question, this question. What if in our search for spiritual fulfillment, spiritual completeness, perfection, what if all that we believe that we need spiritually 
we already have in Christ. Because it's a gift. It's a gift that comes from Jesus. And we have it now. This is the gift that I give you, even eternal life. And what is eternal life? You know this one very well. John chapter 17. Jesus was speaking and praying to the Father. And this is eternal life, that you know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. And that's exactly what Jonah was preaching, wasn't it? The true God, true faith, because there's no mercy in the faults. So Jonah was teaching us some beautiful things to look up. And so many of the prophets were doing the same, to look up to the temple in heaven, because that's where reality is. Like one of the temples that's a hallmark, or one of the verses that's a hallmark for us is, is Revelation eleven nineteen, where it says the temple of God was opened in heaven. I mean, that's really getting exciting. Now we get to look into heaven, and there was seen the ark of his covenant. Now that tells us a whole lot of stuff. I mean, first of all, the only, that, that's in the most holy place. That's where the ark is. And the only time that happened was when the high priest went there on the Day of Atonement. So now we're looking at the real Day of Atonement. And we see the real Ark. And what's inside that? The real Ten Commandments. And God put it in the most holy place in the universe. In his holy temple, in the most holy section of it, place of it. And next to him. And we see the, the real Ten Commandments, the real Sabbath. Nothing has changed. All my commandments are sure. They stand fast forever and ever. They are done in truth and uprightness. I will not alter the thing that has come out of my mouth. And so we can see it by faith. And we know that we are not saved by keeping God's law, but we, he put it in a holy place, the highest, next to himself. I mean, why would we want it to be our Savior when the Savior is right there. Jesus is our Savior. Even Jonah said that. He said over here, but I will, in verse 9 in chapter 2, I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. That's what Jonah said. And so, but, but the other side of the coin is, just because we're not saved by it doesn't mean we're not supposed to obey it does it? We know we're supposed to obey it. Just like, you know, we, most of us here are born as Americans. We don't, we're, not, we're not Americans because we obey the laws of the land. We're born that way. Are we supposed to obey the laws of the land? Of course. And the same thing as our Christianity. We must be born again. And do we obey God because of that? Yes. If you love me, Jesus said, obey me. So, the prophets were teaching us to look up by faith because that's where reality is. That's where our salvation is. As Jonah said, salvation is of the Lord. So he, he taught us about true faith and the danger of false worship. True worship, false worship. The same thing that we're to preach to the world. And he taught us about true faith because it's the evidence of things not seen. That's where reality is. But there's one more thing I want to just tell you about Jonah. He really did go to Nineveh. And it wasn't an easy job to go there. I mean, first of all, it was probably five or 600 miles from where the whales spit him out, at least that much. And he had to get there, probably he had to walk, maybe a camel, 
It certainly wasn't an air-conditioned SUV, that's for sure. He had it tough. And when he got there, he was greeted by the Assyrians. And they were not known to be the most friendly people to Israel. They were their enemies. In fact, tradition, and the only way we can prove this is through tradition, that many of Jonah's own family were killed by the Assyrians. And so now he's commissioned to go preach to them? Wow. And they responded to him. They responded by, by accepting and repenting at the preaching of Jonah. Jonah was a, a, a great prophet. Jesus said that because he said, a greater than Jonah. So Jonah himself was great, but obviously the whole story is about a greater than Jonah is here. Our students have some challenges when they go out there. Many times, their prayer is, Lord, may the people be nice to me today. And one of my favorite stories with them is uh, one of our students went out canvassing in the beginning of the summer, and a guy brought a, brought a book. It was the book, Steps to Christ. History, we call it um, In Search of Peace, but it's the book, Steps to Christ. And... <clears throat> And later in the summer, she ran into this guy in another part of the city again. And he, he said, oh, you're the one that sold me that book. I remember you said, I want to tell you something. That book changed my life. And our books do change people's lives. There's power in those books. But it never would have happened if it wasn't for her. 120,000 people were converted at the preaching of Jonah, and it was the Holy Spirit that converted all of them. But it never would have happened if it wasn't for Jonah. And it's not going to happen if, it isn't, if we don't go. Because God uses, with all of our weaknesses and all of our fears, real, live people like Jonah, like you, like me, to reach real, live people. The Apostle Paul wrote in Acts 18, 9 and 10, Be not afraid. But speak and hold not your peace, for I am with you, and no man shall set on you to hurt you, for I have much people in this city. God wants us to go, to be like Jonah. You remember the parable of the two sons. The one son said, I'm going to go, and he didn't go. The other said, I'm not going, but he did. That's Jonah. That's many times you and me. But God wants us to go by faith to look up, to realize what he is doing for us, because there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, only in Christ. There is a greater than Jonah here. God is bidding us to go. Let us make up our minds. Let's go to Nineveh. Amen.